Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Hello, you are very welcome to the show. This is the last episode in the current series of Supercharged, but it is a big one. On the show this evening, we'll talk about a subject that is experienced by one in four women in Ireland. One in four. It's a very delicate subject and often can be quite traumatic for people. Like, people can find it very difficult to come to terms with and even comprehend on a physical and emotional level. I'm talking about miscarriage. And I do know this can be distressing and triggering for some listeners, But I really want this show this evening to be about learning, sharing, supporting and understanding. Like during the week on my Instagram page, I decided I wanted to open up a conversation about miscarriage to educate myself. And I have spoken to so many of you about your heartbreaking stories and experiences. Like you were telling me things that you said you haven't been able to tell many other people. You talked about feelings of isolation and shame. And so many women and couples suffer in silence without ever feeling they can talk about it. So we really need to change our response to miscarriage as a society. We need to end the stigma that people can feel. And you know, we need to end the self-blame too. People can experience loss around miscarriage in a myriad of ways. And it is loss. Like it is grief. And it can be so personal and different for everybody. And I know that I feel so much more informed after speaking with you this week. So I really hope this show this evening can educate people too. If you have any questions for our experts or if you just simply want to get in touch with any comments or thoughts, you can text in on 51551 or email supercharged at rte.ie. My first guest this evening is Sarah Cook O'Neill. She's here to share with us her own miscarriage story. Sarah, thank you so much for coming on the show. You're very welcome. You know, tell us your story in your own words. Um, I had my miscarriage in 2019 and I was told I might never be able to have children initially because I have PCOS. Mm -hmm. So um, we we moved into our first house and we decided to go for it and got it in the first try. Amazing. So I didn't find out until I was about two or three weeks pregnant anyway. And then just before my 12th week week scan, I started bleeding quite heavily. And um, I was diagnosed a couple of days later with a a missed miscarriage. Before we get to that, what did it feel like when you were getting excited, you were were planning, you were thinking ahead, as, as most couples do, and then this happened? Like, what was the initial thought when it happened? Were you worried? Were you thinking it's normal? What, you know, who did you phone first? Well... They say you don't tell anyone for the first 12 weeks, mm-hmm. but I'm an only child. Mm-hmm. And my mum was, we told her, at week mm-hmm. seven. Um, I was initially, I wasn't worried or anything because it was my first pregnancy. I didn't know whether, you know, I didn't know about miscarriage because we're not taught that, that sort of thing in school, yeah. what to expect. It's mm-hmm. one in four. So I was overexcited. I was planning everything, planning the nursery, Pinteresting away as you do. And... Um, that's when it hit me. It didn't actually hit me until I stepped outside the hospital after having the scan and I let this enormous wail in the street on Hollis Street there. And I think everybody just turned around and stared. But I just, when you're not expecting that, it's, it's, oh, it's unreal. It's, 
And when you initially started having the symptoms um, of what you then realised was miscarriage a few days later, what was your initial thought process? Did you realise what was happening? I knew. Did you? I knew. There was a little bit of spotting. I was in work that day, a little bit of spotting and I thought nothing of it. You know, as you do Dr. Google, mm-hmm. you look and they go, it's just where your, your period was supposed to be. There's sometimes a little spot in early pregnancy. And I was at home that night making dinner and I got this enormous cramp, bent uh, bent over with the pain and then the bleeding started. No clots or anything, but I rang Hollis Street and they're, they're amazing. Their midwives are incredible. And they said, unless there's clots all over the floor, don't worry about it. It should be okay. But come in tomorrow just to, to just to put your mind at rest and have a scan. I knew I knew something was wrong. I knew it. Um, you just know in your heart of heart. In and I cried myself to sleep that night. Oh. And I'm not religious. I was brought up Catholic, but I, I'd say I think I said about a hundred Hail Marys on the way in to hospital that morning. And of course, she kept tilting the screen away from me. And you kind of get a suspicion that something's mm-hmm. not right. And I was told that the um, the fetus was measuring smaller than it should be for almost 12 weeks. So I was sent up for a formal scan and it wasn't looking like there was anything viable left. What what happened next? Like oh, I can't even begin to imagine what that must have felt like. It's You go into this blank vacuum. You don't think of anything. Like there's nothing. We were told to go away for 20 minutes. Not go away, but there was no appointment for a scan, a formal mm-hmm. scan upstairs. So until they found an emergency spot for me, we had to wait. So that's when I stepped outside and it just hit me at this big whale. And I was just like, it's like, why me? Like, why? Yeah. It's like your future is stolen from you, mm-hmm. your future plans. And when you have a mis- miscarriage, it's like your body betrays you. Because I had miscarried possibly two weeks before. Okay. And my body had no symptoms to show mm-hmm. for that. The bleeding started two weeks later. But I kind of, I noticed there was no... My symptoms had all disappeared. I hadn't got that nausea that I had and I didn't think that. Mm-hmm. But, but as you said, we're not made aware of that no, either. No, So how are you expected exactly. to know? Exactly. And one in four, it needs to be taught in schools for girls to at least think that it might be mm-hmm. and something that's going to happen. Do you know what I mean? Just to be prepared for it. Because when it hits you out of the blue, you don't know what to do. And then, I suppose, when you realised yeah, the miscarriage was happening... For a lot of people listening again, they don't even know what happens next. For So for you, if you're able to, like, what was that difficult process like in, in the, the next stages then? Um, I'm lucky I have a very supportive husband. Um, I think the one member of staff I remember from Hollis Street that stuck out in my, my head was the bereavement midwife, Brenda. Okay. She helped me. She was the only person that made me feel like this was a this was a pregnancy. This existed. So from there on, she gave, gave me a candle and some other little mementos, little things to take home with me to, to just to remember that there was a pregnancy there, little seed card and um, just keeping her in my mind. And she offered she offered to talk to me whenever I needed to. But I think there's no GP service to follow up from a miscarriage, no offer of counselling, nothing. So. I went into a very dark bubble. I didn't know what to do. I just sat in the house. I went into a very dark place. And I remember my husband saying, you know, we go to Ikea. Maybe we'll get you some furniture and we'll have a project and start something. So just we went. distract yourself. Of course. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I felt every pregnant woman in Dublin was in Ikea mm. that day. And every baby. Everywhere you looked. Everywhere I looked. And then the most devastating part is having to walk through the, through the children's and nursery part of Ikea. Because if you're from Dublin, you'll know quite extensive yeah so I burst into tears and I said 
Ryan, I'm going to look at the ceiling. Just just guide me out of this department because I can't. Like other places in IKEA, you can slip through little gaps in the walls mm-hmm. to skip different departments, but there's not with children's. And that nearly killed me. <laughs> um, again, I can't even begin to imagine yeah. how traumatic that must have been. Like, where did you both find comfort or, or support? Like, were you able to talk to people or, you know, did any comfort come? Avoidance, that's the thing. People don't, they avoid the topic of miscarriage because it's uncomfortable for people. Mm-hmm. But I found the best way is to talk about it to anyone who will listen. I guess that's why I started my podcast as well, because I just feel that it's something that needs to be talked about, whether it's just, I'm sorry. Mm-hmm. There's nothing else needs to be said, just I'm sorry, and then listen to what the person has to say. So my mom, my husband, my, my best friends are incredible for listening to me and they comforted me and... My close friend had had a miscarriage previously before that, two months before, so she knew how I felt. Mm-hmm. So we were very much a crutch for each other. Yeah. So that was... that empathy. And I found myself this week, even having to sp- spoken to so many men and women, it is having people that will listen, that will be there. And it's almost like the minute you say, this has happened to us, we've had yeah. a miscarriage, so many other people will say the same, that you may have had no idea that in actual fact they experienced it too. Like, why do you think that is? Again, nobody wants to talk about it. I think, I don't know if this is the thing, but I think in Ireland, I think it's like an inherited mm-hmm. mother and daughter. You just don't talk about these things. And then they, when they have a daughter, it's the same. You don't talk about these things in public. Reproduction isn't a, a topic that's brought up. Mm-hmm. But I really, um, it's so important. It's detrimental. And, you know, with with speaking about it and with open opening the conversation, for anybody listening right now that might be currently going through something similar like what would you tell them what advice would you give them based off your own experience talk to people don't push people away I did that initially if anyone wanted to come and visit I was like please don't I'm I'm actually busy today Mm -hmm. talk to people keep people close don't be on your own I threw myself into yoga and meditation after and that helped me as well helped me empty my mind and get out of my head because I used to overthink, what did I do? Did I did I eat something I shouldn't have? Did I maybe drink something or was I too stressed at work? Yeah. But it's not. It's usually it's a chromosomal, chromosomal mm-hmm. issue that will cause a miscarriage. It's mm-hmm. nothing that you would have done. So you need to talk to friends and be around people. Yeah. How did you overcome that, that, that guilt or that possible self-blame? Because again, having spoken to people, a lot of people experience yeah. this. And as you said... It's, it's more often than not completely out of your control. I went into Instagram and actually did a post and I asked about miscarriage and I got an overwhelming response. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and a lot of friends of mine had to come before and say, I actually had one as well. And wow. they never told me. Wow. So I'd say about 15% of my friends have had miscarriages. And you realise like how alone those women must be going through that, not telling, well, I didn't even know about it. And I know these women for years. Mm-hmm. It's open up the conversation. Open up the conversation. Yeah. Don't be afraid it of it. nothing to be ashamed of. No, one in about. four. I mean, a pregnancy or miscarriage has been linked with post-combat, post-traumatic stress. Mm-hmm. Now, as I said on my last issue or last episode, it's not, like you, you're not dodging bullets and, and bombs and things. You're actually dodging baby ads. Mm-hmm. And when you go shopping online, there's, you know, maternity wear comes up, women in bumps in every, every, every um, website online. Things like that need to be people. I think companies need to be a little bit more um, mindful about mm-hmm. advertising and things like that. Yeah, because it does. Sarah, thank you so much for coming in and sharing your story. I am sure 
people listening at home will have taken so much from it, even knowing that they're not alone. And you can check out Sarah's podcast, Beyond Miscarriage, wherever you get your podcast. Now, coming up, I'm going to be chatting with Dr. Sharon Cooley. She's an obstetrician and gynecologist from the Rotunda Hospital. Welcome back to Supercharged. If you have just joined us, we are talking about the sensitive and often distressing subject of miscarriage, but it is such an important conversation to open up. So many of you have been getting in touch and sharing your stories. Hi Anna, I have four children and have had three miscarriages throughout my journey. One before my second baby and two before my third. Because it can happen in early pregnancy, people may not have known that you were pregnant. I've had close family say things like, oh you're young and you can try again. At least you already have two healthy children. Hearing this when you've lost the baby that you had already made so many plans for from the time you see the positive result in the test is just awful. It's heartbreaking and you're expected to just get on with things. Hi Anna, um, we miscarried our second about four years ago. We went to the hospital as we were about eight, nine weeks long to get a scan. And I feel like we just didn't have the best experience with the hospital. They were very blunt and said, yeah, no heartbeat there. Um, just go home and it'll pass by itself. But while we were waiting, we were on a bed next to a woman who was getting a trace done. So we could hear her baby's heartbeat, which I thought was very insensitive of them. And it just made the whole experience worse. I've had three miscarriages, Uh, they were all quite early on, I never got to the heartbeat stage so we were very, very down about it, my husband and I, I felt like I was struggling through every day, Uh, I myself spoke to the bereavement midwife counsellor in the hospital and she really helped me because by the time of the third loss I completely shut down, I was very numb, actually really angry, in a bad place and she helped me with that, I was open with some people and they acknowledged it, other people said at least you can get pregnant and at least you still have each other and that's probably not the most helpful. I think if someone does decide to open up and say that they've had a miscarriage it's really important that you acknowledge the loss and the grief that goes with that. Thank you so much for for continuing to share your stories. I mean, it's really brave, but also it's really helping other people as well that might be going through the same thing. If you want to send us in a question for our experts or a comment, you can text in on 51551. Now with me now in studio is Dr. Sharon Cooley, obstetrician and gynaecologist with the Rotunda Hospital. Sharon, you've been listening to those voice notes as well. There's so many people that are experiencing this, that they're suffering in silence that, you know, I suppose we're, we're opening up a conversation that needs to happen. I think this conversation has needed to be open for a long time and listening to Sarah and the other ladies there um, talk about something so personal and so tragic. And for many of these ladies, it's the first time, but it's the common theme that we would see coming through time and time again, is that it's a hidden grief Mm -hmm. in a culture where we we normally embrace grief. We do wakes, we celebrate somebody's life. And this is a life that didn't get a chance to start. And for a lot of ladies, it's that loss of of, of acknowledgement of what could have been. Yeah, and exactly what could have been. 
I suppose it's important at the, the start of the conversation to define what actually a miscarriage is. So a miscarriage is loss of a baby less than 24 weeks, weighing less than 500 grams. Most miscarriages will happen within the first 12 weeks of pregnancy. Um, but after that 12-week period in time, there's still a 1% chance of miscarriage all the way through until 24 weeks. So as um, your listeners and Sarah have mentioned, that there's so many women going through this, mm. approximately 14,000, we think, per year. Wow. Miscarriages in Ireland, which is a huge amount of morbidity and grief that hasn't been dealt with appropriately um, and, and really needs to be looked at if these women are to stand a chance of healing in the long term. Yeah, like the healing aspect of it, I mean, it's, it's just so important. But I suppose going back to the, the physical, because when it comes to miscarriage, there are signs and symptoms to be watching out for during pregnancy. I guess what's normal and what's not? Because a lot of people don't know because we don't talk about this until it's actually happening to us. Oh, absolutely. So what's normal in pregnancy is you are to expect tiredness. You'd expect some breast tenderness, exhaustion at nearly an Olympic level. Mm-hmm. Some people nearly equate it to kind of like having post-viral fatigue, mm-hmm. getting home from work and not being able to do much else before going to bed. Um, but what's not normal in pregnancy is bleeding or severe pain. And I suppose in the early pregnancy unit in the Rotunda, last year alone we saw 4,200 women come through with either bleeding or pain in pregnancy. Mm -hmm. Now thankfully, about 70% of those got to bring home a baby um, at the end of the day. But there is still Mm -hmm. that one in three who will get bad news um, in the early pregnancy unit and leave the hospital with empty arms Mm -hmm. and devastated. And I suppose, again, it's important just to define, like when you say early pregnancy, what does that mean for people? Early pregnancy is less than 12 weeks. Okay. And and it's that period of time where we anticipate most miscarriages to occur. Mm -hmm. And for people then, like you're, I suppose, that, that idea of being aware of the signs, but there are sometimes then where, you know, slight bleeding or spotting can be normal in early pregnancy. So I suppose, how do people refrain from panicking and stay calm, but also be vigilant for times where they then need to seek medical intervention. I suppose if the bleeding is happening and it's at a level that you're not comfortable with, mm-hmm. then come and see us. The emergency rooms in the maternity hospitals, your healthcare provider, your GP, we're all empowered to be able to kind of evaluate the pregnancy and see what's happening and hopefully for the majority of women put their mind at ease. We have been getting questions in that we hear a lot about miscarriage in early pregnancy, but what about miscarriage in second trimester? How common is it? And they also want to know, like, what are the symptoms to look out for? Are they the same as is in the first trimester? They're very much the same. It's bleeding and pain at a level that that you would find unmanageable or unusual for you. as I said, 1% of pregnancies will end after that 12-week mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, people are um, speaking about, you know, silent or missed miscarriages, which we've heard uh, Sarah speak about as well. What is that and wh- why might it happen and, and what might happen um, during that? Usually what we term as a silent miscarriage is a pregnancy that has ended, but the body has actually not taken the cue that the pregnancy has ended and it's mm-hmm. still continuing in many cases to grow the sac that holds the baby in it. Um, And in a lot of women, the symptoms might get a little bit better. But truthfully, as you get closer to 12 weeks, the symptoms tend to ease anyway. So for some women, there's no symptoms or signs until they come for a booking visit and end up devastated um, because the the joy of scan has been taken for them, not only for this pregnancy, but for the pregnancies thereafter. Yeah, that's a question I wanted to ask, because if you do experience a miscarriage and then, you know, you find yourself that you thankfully fall pregnant Mm -hmm. again, you know, the worry, the fear, the anxiety that can exist, it can it can take the joy from from subsequent pregnancies. But what would you say to women um, that might find themselves in that situation? How do they cope with that? 
A lot of women, I suppose, that would find themselves in that situation would already be linked with a maternity service or particularly maternity bereavement service. Mm -hmm. So they would link back with us and most hospitals would have the provision to do a reassurance scan earlier in the pregnancy than a traditional booking scan would happen at. And that's really to try and put a woman's mind at ease. But truthfully, Anna, we could send people home with four or five babies, but you will always remember the one that didn't go home. Yeah, of course. I mean, it never leaves you. What are some of the reasons for miscarriage? We hear a lot of women and messages coming in about the self-blame and the, the shame and the guilt of wondering, did I do something wrong? But, you know, the vast majority of the time, is there anything they could even have done? Like, what could the reasons be? The commonest reason for miscarriage, particularly less than 12 weeks in pregnancy, is that there's a chromosomal abnormality in that baby. So that the blueprint wasn't there to get beyond, more often than not, six to eight weeks in the pregnancy. But that your body says goodbye in its own terms. Mm -hmm. And for these babies that are very much wanted and loved, your body can continue on for weeks, minding the pregnancy, until the realisation happens that this isn't going home. When that happens... What is the next steps? What are the potential um, processes? Because a lot of people, again, until they experience miscarriage, they don't even know what can happen. I know there's various different things that can happen when it comes to you found out that you have a miscarriage. If you've presented to the hospital and you have bleeding, usually that's your body's way of saying that it's realising what's happening Mm -hmm. and that the bleeding is the start of the actual miscarriage itself about to happen. And and the process of that, I know there can be surgery or there can can be different options. So the the three traditional options that we would give people are first is to await events and see if your body's going to say goodbye in its own terms. And the benefits of that is that you would actually get to miscarry at home with your family your supports in your own bathroom Mm -hmm. with pain relief Um, and uh, and for a lot of ladies they they would take that option Mm-hmm. The other option is that we give you medication to let your body know that the pregnancy has ended and then the, the following day give you more medication to, to, to actually help your body say goodbye to the baby. The difficulty, I suppose, for most women, particularly if you have children at home, is there are very few moments where you actually get to go to the bathroom by yourself. Mm-hmm. And if you're taking tablets and anticipating a bleed and pain, it's trying to figure out as to where you're going to let this happen in as private and as sensitive a way as possible. And then the other option is that you're admitted as a day case procedure to a maternity hospital, um, have a general anaesthetic and we gently dilate or stretch the neck of the womb and take the sac with the fetus in it. The other option we have available in the Rotunda Hospital is a procedure called manual vacuum aspiration. And we find some of our ladies, particularly if they've had children before, use that option because it gives them a chance to A, avoid the anaesthetic, but B, lets them miscarry in a setting that's medicalised. You know, this isn't an immediate process. It can take lots of time. Like, what do you advise about people going back to work after a miscarriage? Because this impacts on people's day-to-day life and often they don't even know what to say, how to say it, what to do. What would you say to them? I always tell ladies that physically they will bounce back quite fast, but it's the emotionally and mentally bit. They have to be prepared when they do go back to work that there's going to be colleagues that want all the gory details. And there's going to be other colleagues who actually won't acknowledge what's happened in the first place. And I'm not sure which of those hurts more Mm -hmm. um, for our ladies that go through this. I suppose the big hope um, is with the the new bill that's coming through the Shannon and the discussion around giving people paid leave around miscarriage and around IVF, that hopefully that will give people 
I suppose one less thing to worry about for when a miscarriage is happening. Yeah, and it's it's time that they need. It's absolutely time that they need. What about women who suffer a number of miscarriages? Like what investigations can be done and at what point? Okay. Usually up until, I suppose, recent documentation um, issued by the HSE, we would got regard uh, recurrent miscarriage would be three consecutive pregnancy losses. But there's a, a conversation that's been opened now suggesting that two pregnancy losses should be that trigger point for women, particularly under the age of 35, to be investigated. Investigated, And those investigations would include some baseline tests like an ultrasound, test of thyroid function, making sure that you weren't a diabetic um, or that you hadn't got a clotting abnormality. Because most of us were dealing with an age group or a population that only really go to see a healthcare professional if they're unwell or need antibiotics. Are you at a higher risk of miscarriage if you've had one already? This seems to be a question that a lot of, of couples and women want to know. Traditionally, not if you've had one. Okay. which is great. Okay. But it's hard to ask somebody who has had a miscarriage to, to even, I suppose, think of trying again because that, that devastating experience of the miscarriage and not seeing the heartbeat on scan or having the pain and bleeding with nothing to show at the end of it will always stay with them. Mm-hmm. But it's important that they know that at least you're not at a higher risk. It's, it's no. you know, it's definitely something that they should take with them. How long should you wait after a miscarriage then before trying again? A minimum of waiting for the next period. Um, When you miscarry, you can bleed for about seven to ten days afterwards. And then traditionally, I suppose, the next egg will be released about two weeks later. So we ask people not to think of trying straight away because otherwise what happens is if you do get pregnant and you come in and the scan doesn't match the the number of weeks that you should be, it just opens that, that a whole can of worms again of, yeah. of pain and grief and um, asking people to wait to see is this pregnancy um, going to be a viable pregnancy and is it going to end in a baby at the end of the day? A question that has come in quite frequently like how can you reduce the risk of miscarriage? Ideally it's going into pregnancy as healthy as you possibly can. Now on the flip side of that I think women blame themselves when it comes to miscarriage um, and they hold themselves to a higher standard than they do their friends or or their colleagues. Mm -hmm. So it's a case of of knowing that you've done everything you can to optimise your chance of going home with a baby. So Mm -hmm. if you're on medication talk to your healthcare professional. Make sure it's the right medication for pregnancy or that it doesn't need to be changed. You're on your folic acid. We're all vitamin D deficient in Ireland. I suppose today was a lovely day but we don't Mm -hmm. get many like today and so have been on your vitamin d coming into pregnancy stopping smoking if you smoke if you are smoking reducing or stopping your alcohol content recreational drugs are a no-no because they do increase your chance of miscarriage but they also I suppose tragically increase your chance of things like preterm birth and stillbirth so trying to get people to come into pregnancy as healthy as possible Dr Sharon Cooley thank you so much there is so much I could talk to you about but we have run out of time but we definitely have to to revisit a lot of these questions again the Miscarriage Association of Ireland, miscarriage.ie, offer peer support through Zoom meetings and in-person meetings. And they also have a book of remembrance where parents can enter the name of their child they lost and other details about the baby if that is of interest to you. You'll find out more information and advice on pregnancyandinfantloss.ie or estopicireland.ie. Now, earlier today, I spoke to Pam Cummins, whose husband, Brendan, is a former Tipperary goalkeeper. and She told me about their experience of miscarriage. So um, in 2011, we went through a very sad experience. Um, I was 13, almost 14 weeks pregnant um, with our second child and we were very excited. 
and went in for a scan. We had told lots of people um, yeah. because everything was going so well for us. Mm-hmm. Um, and we knew people would recognise Brendan inside in the hospital. So we just thought it's easier to tell them why we're going in. Mm-hmm. Um, and in a split second, um, we were asked to go to another examination room and we knew something was wrong. Um, we had plans made in our own head at this stage. I was thinking about my paternity leave. I was thinking about names. I was gone way ahead. Yeah. Well, you were um, after 14 weeks. That's what, you know, takes over. It, and I'd had a perfectly healthy first pregnancy. Um, and this was just not part of our plan. Mm-hmm. Um, we just thought everything was going to be plain sailing. And we um, we were told by our doctor, who was fantastic, to come back in a week um, that... Her, what she had said at the time was that um, I had experienced a missed miscarriage, but just to be 100% sure, she wanted to give me another week. And oh, um, so we we left the hospital not known. Was I pregnant? Was I not pregnant? My body was telling me one thing and the doctors were saying another. And we were in limbo for a week. And unfortunately, August is a very busy time with the year. Well, it was for the GA and it was All-Ireland semi-final week. And we almost had to press pause. We we didn't really know what to do. Um, I'm sure Brendan was, of course, just to let people know he was playing goals for Tipperary at the time. So there was a lot going on was. in your lives. A lot going on. And um, I don't know how he did it, but he he just had to compartmentalise. And I think at the back of our minds, we just kind of thought they might have got this wrong. Um, we'll go back in next week. Everything will be fine. And we'll just put this down to, uh, you know, a rocky start. Um, then we went back into the hospital uh, a few days later and um, on arrival to the hospital, my body had actually started to realise that um, the pregnancy wasn't going to happen and things had begun to naturally, I suppose, um, progress. Yeah. And um, I, like we didn't know what was going on, really. I was 31, he was 36, and we did not have a clue what was going on. Yeah. I told him, head on home there, I'll be grand, I'll see you tomorrow. Um, and it was just... Like it, it was just so surreal. Um, now we were very lucky. We had fantastic support. My parents were unbelievable. They looked after our son. Um, I have one sister. She was just always there. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I, I can't explain the support that we had. Just to have a person, and Brendan was very respectful of that. He didn't necessarily expect me to tell him exactly everything how I was feeling. And how did and it impact on both of you afterwards then? Um, well, look, I suppose he was very respectful and I, looking back on it, we were very polite. We spoke about it and are you OK? And yeah, are you OK? And I'm sad or we just didn't really know what to say to each other because I felt extremely guilty and I was, I suppose, I felt I'd let him down a little bit. Oh, really? I know looking back on it, he probably felt that he should be minding me um, and that he should be doing something to fix this. But unfortunately, there was nothing he could do mm-hmm. um, to, to make this go away. But I think for a long time, we just kind of danced around it a little bit. Um, yeah. And that there's that awkwardness. And a lot of people feel very awkward. Um, and it's OK not to know what to say. Sometimes just not saying anything is good. Being there and allowing somebody to cry or get along, about, you know, do things as normal. Mm-hmm. Um, it's That's really, really important. But I found myself, people were very awkward around me and I was overcompensating. I was kind of saying, don't worry about it, it's grand. Yeah. But it wasn't grand. It was only when Brendan wrote a book that I realised that mm-hmm. he came to me and said, I'd like to include this in my book. 
And I realised then that it wasn't just my story. Yeah. That he had gone through the exact same loss. Mm-hmm. Um, and I suppose it's just really important that you keep each other in the loop. Um, you know, he couldn't fix things for me. He had double the worry and I didn't see it at the time. If anyone can take a message away from our story, it is the polite conversations are grand, you know, to have. But you, you do really need to talk to each other. And, you know, I said finding that person, whether it is um, boyfriend, girlfriend, partner, whatever, um, whoever it is, just to have a person to talk to and try not to blame yourself and it's natural um, that you go through a grieving process and we didn't know how long that would last or when do people expect you to get over this. But I will say this small little person that we didn't get the chance to meet would be 11 this month and at the end of the month I'll still light a candle and I'll still remember, um, I suppose, the third member of our family that yeah. didn't didn't get to join us. Well, Pam, thank you so much for coming on and sharing yours and Brendan's story. I'm sure that will help a lot of people listening that may be in similar circumstances. Now, coming up after the break, I'm going to be chatting with a counsellor about how to deal with the impact of miscarriage. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Supercharged with Ali Geary on RTE Radio 1. Joining me now is Irene Lowry, counsellor and founder of Nurture Health, a nationwide counselling service for women and their partners who experience things like miscarriage. Irene, your service offers help to people at difficult times in their lives, including the, the loss of a baby. So like in your experience, what can the emotional impact of miscarriage be? Hi, Anna. Thank you so much for covering this topic and thank you for having me on this evening. Um, I think the emotional journey of a miscarriage is something, again, that that everybody's discussed on the show now. Um, It's huge. And again, it's so stigmatized. It's not talked about in society. So women, as you say, literally suffer in silence and... Because it is so stigmatized and women don't talk about it, it's just a hidden, a hidden grief. Mm-hmm. Well, speaking That's what of, it is. Speaking of that grief, like how long can it take for that grief to become apparent, and and in what ways can it manifest itself? I know, you know, woman to woman, partner to partner, it's it's different. But what kind of symptoms might they experience in the aftermath? Well, I think women, first of all, and the women that we've spoken to, so we're 13 years offering our supports across Ireland. Mm -hmm. And I heard Sarah saying, you know, that she didn't realise there's other support services out there. So we are out there. We are immediate. All councillors are trained up. And interestingly, they're trained up by COVE, uh, Cork University Maternity Hospital. We have a massive relationship there with all the team and Teela O'Donoghue, the obstetrician in Cork. And they've done immense training with us, wonderful training. So there is, first of all, support out there. But again, as we all know, it's all down to signposting. Yeah. So some of the, some of the um, I suppose, feelings a woman would feel with miscarriages, um, the negative emotional impact, the blame, blaming themselves for this miscarriage when, as Dr. Crowley said, it's not their place to blame themselves. It's it's situations outside chromosomes and whatever else mm-hmm. outside their control. Um, mm-hmm. Feeling very alone. 
I don't know, I don't think I've ever spoken to one woman out of the 13,000 women we've counselled. Now, 50% of them would be miscarriage who have said, you know, if we've asked, well, how are you feeling? And the main feeling is I'm feeling alone. Women also with miscarriage find it challenging to talk to their partners in depth because they know the partners are suffering as well. And so they try to hold on to a lot of their own emotional thoughts and feelings themselves. So Mm -hmm. they don't have, I suppose, somewhere to filter. Look, at this is how I'm feeling and being completely honest about it. Sleeping problems, difficulties, concentrating and an awful lot of women. And I wouldn't even know that this is part of the miscarriage process. Yeah, that's why I I ask because a lot of people don't realise, I suppose, the the after effects of like there's the physical aspect, but then there's also, I suppose, all of the the other side of it too. Now, we are getting some voice notes in, Irene, so we might jump to one of those to see what they have to say. Yeah, absolutely. Go ahead. Hi Anna, unfortunately myself and my wife had a miscarriage a few years ago and I would like for you to cover the aspect of the partner. I think sometimes it's forgotten that it's not only the wife who goes through the the pain and suffering of a miscarriage. For me, I found it very difficult to to overcome having to stay strong for my wife, be strong for myself, look after her while she went through everything while masking the pain of the loss of a child myself. Irene, that's, I suppose, a very appropriate miscarriage, or I suppose, story, considering you were just speaking there about partners as well, because both, pe- both people in the relationship uh, suffer the effects of the miscarriage. But like, how can the partner support the person physically experiencing the miscarriage while also supporting themselves? Like, what supports are out there for the partners? And this is a message that we are getting in quite a bit, actually. Yeah, and that's the reason why when we set up Nurture 13 years ago, we experienced uh, miscarriage, we experienced lots of other issues and partners were involved because we have a duty of care so if mm-hmm. you're not well, we have a duty of care to call the partner mm-hmm. Now the partner can be male or female um, but yeah if we talk about the male partner um, women are much better at talking about their feelings, we all know that and in grief, women will support women But I always feel for the male partners, um, no matter what the grief is, because we don't visit male partners. Women won't generally call on a male partner. They might initially, but then over time, it kind of dies down. It's a bit awkward. They don't know what to say. So partners, we support partners in nurture health as well. And we're partnered with the insurance companies, the major insurance companies in Ireland. So it means that a woman or the partner might be covered more often than not they are to come and talk to us because men need a space to talk. And this idea that they don't, it's just not accurate. It's not real. They need, he's right in what he says. What about them? And no, no matter how many women we speak to, if you think about if a woman has a miscarriage and the partner's gone to work and the woman's at home, then he's got to worry about her at home to make sure that she's okay and try and work. Yeah. Very, very challenging. And like, how would you recommend sharing the news with family, friends, work colleagues? Like, have you have any advice on how to instigate those conversations? Yeah, well, it, I suppose it depends on on two areas, doesn't it? How many, as as Sarah said, you don't generally talk about this 
being mis, uh, being pregnant for the first 12 weeks. So if it works, that's absolutely amazing and it's fantastic and congratulations to everybody involved. But when it doesn't, if you have talked about it, if you are a person who's gone out and felt, look, you know what, I want everybody to know. Mm-hmm. I, I'm not I'm not I'm not gonna feel embarrassed if it doesn't yeah. work. I'm not even thinking about it may not work. So I'm gonna tell everybody. Mm-hmm. So if that's that particular woman or couple, well then the best way really we say is to email out, is to send an email to say, Look, uh it's it's very tragic, uh, but we just want to tell you that we've had a, a loss of a baby. Mm-hmm. An awful lot of women and partners will, will call the baby a name, will give the baby a name. So you can say, look, um, maybe the, the baby's name is Kira, and we're going to have a, a small ceremony for Kira, and we'd like to invite you. That's one way. And then for others who haven't actually told everybody, it's a little bit easier, I think. So they can go and talk to their family members or their friends or get a friend even to release the news to them and take the pressure off themselves. It's not easy. And the other lady talked about other babies. And I think that's another huge part of this loss and grief and bereavement is that after you have a miscarriage, you, you, you may have to go back into the workplace. You Mm -hmm. may, you may work at home. You may be at home. Um, but the bottom line is you do have to see other women pregnant um, outside in the workplace, be invited to christenings. They're all very, mm-hmm. very challenging, emotionally, highly charged we actually events have, to go to. We, we actually have another voice note in here now for you as well, Irene. Mm. Hi, Anna. We've had two miscarriages, one early and one missed miscarriage. Something that we experienced after both was well-meaning family members saying things like, well, at least you can get pregnant. People don't realise that the language used in a specific time can be really hurtful and yet they don't mean it to come across that way at all. Exactly what that voice note said. Language is so important around miscarriage. So, you know, what should you be saying or what should you not be saying to somebody that you know is going through a miscarriage and in the aftermath? Because even those words, at least, can be quite triggering. Absolutely. But I think, look, the, ma- the main thing anybody wants, if we think about it, is just to be hugged. Mm-hmm. It's to say, I'm sorry. Nobody needs anybody in miscarriage, any of their friends, any of their family members, talking about, sure, aren't you better off? Sure, haven't you got a baby at home? None of those comments are helpful yeah. at that time. They just don't help. They make things much worse. Any any woman, any partner, in fairness, out there just wants to be acknowledged. It's simple. I'm sorry. I, can I give you a hug? Is it okay to hug you? That, that's it. You, you don't need anything else. A man told us about three weeks ago that... His wife had a miscarriage and um, her family came through the front door and he opened the front door and they literally 
walked into the hall, went into the sitting room and hugged her. He's yeah. completely forgotten about. Yeah. He was left behind the door. So it's so important so, to remember the both people that are that are in it together. Irene, I know we've run yeah. out of time, but the, definitely there You're is there's so much that we can come back to again because again, it's just so important to open up this conversation and hopefully a lot more mm. people are going to be having conversations this evening after listening to this show. Of course, there yeah. is lots of important advice, been, advice being shared today, but of course you can also go to nurturehealth.ie for more information. Stay with us because in a few minutes I'm going to be chatting with health journalist Daniel Barron about some eye-catching health stories of the week. Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. Supercharged with Alec Geary on RTE Radio 1. With me now in studio is health journalist Daniel Barron to take us through some of our top stories of the week. Over to you. Okay, so this was the week that Spain became the first country in Europe that will entitle workers to paid menstrual leave. Now, will I go there, Anna? If men had periods, this would be enshrined in every constitution. But seriously, this is a groundbreaking development in Spain. Yeah, where women are going to be entitled to three days leave each month. So it's in the case of incapacitating menstruation, which as we know, can mean like severe cramps, nausea, dizziness, look, even vomiting. It's for the people that need it. Yeah, exactly. So they will need a doctor's cert, but I have to say it's pretty hysteric and like it really paves the way for something similar being brought in here maybe down the line yeah, you know definitely and again such an important thing for those that need it what else is, is catching your attention so this week we've been learning more about the potentially harmful effects of vaping so remember vaping was supposed to be the less harmful version of smoking it yeah. had fewer toxins people were actually encouraged to take it up in order to give up smoking. But then it became apparent that people who'd never smoked were taking it up, including children and young people. It was actually acting as a gateway to smoking. Yeah. So this new study looked at cells taken from the mouths of three groups, vapors, smokers and people who'd never done either. And the researchers found that the vapors and smokers both had significant levels of DNA damage, more than twice the amount of those found in someone who never did both. Um, So this DNA damage, like that's a precursor to an increased risk of developing cancer or inflammatory disease and it was much higher among those who vaped or smoked more frequently and it was actually the most popular vapes like the sweet coloured ones that did the most damage so it shows that the government here is right it's proceeding with its legislation through the Oireachtas that would ban vaping for under 18s. Wow. And what yeah. else do you have? The, the, I know you've got lots of them there. Okay, and I will try so, through as many. As okay, we can. so something that came out of the pandemic was obviously our obsession, national obsession with sea swimming. And are you a sea swimmer? Anna? No, I'm not. No, I keep threatening. People to love to tell me when they I are. I know. I keep threatening to do it. I'm all talk. Um, but this week we saw proof it affects the ra- brain in a really positive way. So there was a UK study, and the participants in it after a swim said they felt more alert, excited, generally better after their cold dip. And the researchers actually could see the changes in the connectivity between the relevant parts of the brain. So this now is, you're just making me feel bad for not well, doing it. Yeah, I can't even so take a cold shower. I know, like sweet, so sea swimming is it? It isn't a cult, but it does give a whole new meaning to the term brainwashed, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. <laughs> yes. And um, if you look at fairness, like the, the more part of them, those that are brave enough to go in, especially yeah. all times of the year. Now, what is your final news story? Okay, so I've got um, a really good one about exercise. So okay. this is the eternal debate: when is the best time of day to exercise or to exercise at all? I suppose, but let's say you're really keen to find out when you should be doing it. Mm-hmm. Um, so this study caught my eye because it's from the Karolinska Institute in Sweden that's one of the top medical universities in the whole world and they found that when mice did exercise in the early active phase so that would be morning for us humans their metabolism increased significantly more than when they exercised at a time later when they'd usually rest so the researchers said their takeaway was that late morning exercise would be much more effective than late evening exercise in terms of boosting your metabolism and maybe burning a fat 
could be of value to people who are overweight but I suppose the thing with exercise is just getting it done at all isn't yeah. it? And again also I don't know how bosses would feel can I just step outside the late morning to I meant to do my exercise this time of the day but again again the message is exercise at any time of the day and there's some people that aren't necessarily morning people that might find it difficult to do it in the mornings I love doing it but yeah. I know my husband is definitely not a morning person I've just said that live <laughs> on national radio Thank you so much Danielle for coming in and chatting with us about the top health stories of the week Now if you would like any help or support about miscarriage you can visit miscarriage.ie or pregnancy and infant loss.ie and please open up to people if you feel comfortable to do so. That's it for another series of Supercharged. You can listen back to this show along with all the other episodes on rte.ie forward slash supercharged or on the Radio Player app or wherever you get your podcasts. Please share this episode with anybody that may need to hear it as well. It may be of help. Thank you to all of my guests this evening and thank you to each and every one of you for the huge part that you have played in the show over the last number of episodes for your voice notes your questions your messages the honesty and the bravery was evident in all of them this evening and always thank you to my brilliant production team to John Daly Louise Nicredon Maya Shmaoui and Daniel Chanel's on sound you can get in touch you can email supercharged at rte.e or you can always reach out to me on Instagram at Anna G Cork Sinead for now Slongafol and of course mind yourselves and mind each other Supercharged with Anna Geary on RTE Radio 1. Supercharged with Anna Geary is an Ojo production for RTE Radio 1. And as Anna said, that was the final episode in the current series. Next Sunday at 6 o'clock, we start a new season of The History Show with Miles Dungan.